Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 276. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, good to see you. Good to see you as well. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, lots going on in the world. Uh, seems like we're definitely moving towards some kind of uh, increasing the heat on impeachment because it's very possible that our president used uh, military and security aid uh, to help get political process, our political benefit from the Ukrainians. We don't know for sure. Right, so we don't want to get ahead of the skis, as they would say. But that seems that's going on right now. Teflon Don, dude. I tell you, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so skeptical with regard to like if anybody will. I don't know. After the Mueller report, I think like it's, it's Teflon Don. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I guess the Constitution be gone. Yep. I mean, do you, I, I mean, if I mean, certainly an impeachment thing would fail. I would guess, unless it's well, the, 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 he would be impeached, but he wouldn't be convicted, right? He would be, yeah, he'd be impeached, but not convicted. Uh, right. Which I don't know. It helped Clinton, uh, yeah, but the economy was good too. So that was the other thing. The economy it was in the middle of the internet boom, so the economy was not affected by the impeachment. However, um, that's it's a little different situation. So if if people do vote in part because of what's going on with the with the economic situation he trump may not get that kind of protection so i don't know you know again i still think uh, you know it, yeah be, but well but i mean the senate there's republican senators regardless you're not gonna are well not gonna, i'm thinking about re-election oh, oh, you okay. you mentioned clinton got re-elected oh, okay right, yeah, right so i know i don't think no no they're they've shown no will to do anything other than support uh trump regardless of what he's doing so um Boris, uh, and also Boris Johnson got his fingers slapped by the Supreme Court. However, that works in Great Britain. So he was basically told that he lied to the Queen, which is bad form. Yeah, that's not good. No, it's not good. So I wouldn't lie to the Queen. Neither neither would I. Uh, so there we go. I don't think I would talk to the Queen. but I would talk to the Queen. Well, uh, would like you would enjoy the audience? I yeah I I saw the crown I think she seems like a pretty cool person I think she seems like really interesting <laughs> I saw the crown dude. you saw the crown you know I'd like to see the inside that would, that would be interesting just to look I at I mean it. she's seen so much I mean what, like I, yeah she's interesting no I mean she's that'd be I'd be interesting to hear her talk about if she would what's a you know the, from her particular vantage point I don't think she would necessarily open up and do that but. That would be interesting. I'd like to hear what she had to say about stuff because she's seen a lot of things. Yeah, I would like to hear that. Yeah, but um, we probably are not going to get that chance. Probably. Maybe Queen Latifah. We might have a better chance to hear what Queen Latifah she's has to say. Queen Latifah is very talented. She's a very interesting person. Yeah. So maybe we can. Maybe that we're in line for that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, why don't we jump into our? And what about Sean Spicer, Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> Pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, the question. Did they purposely put him in that ridiculous outfit? Yeah, oh yeah. The whole there's a theme, dude. I mean there's a theme. Like, no, I mean I I'm saying I've seen I watched Dancing with Stars twice. I, I don't think they had to mock him. I think that's like they I watched it when Heinz Ward. I when when my favorite football players played. So I watched Heinz Ward and, and some of Antonio Brown when he was the name who now may not be mentioned, but when he was a stealer. But no, I mean I know the theme of I know what the theme of the song was and the whole dance, but 
they didn't have to put him in the as puffy. I mean, they. In other words, you, you get to kind of, I mean, did he choose to wear those sleeves? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, you know, there's collaboration with the dancer, the costume people, the people that play in your routine. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was not unintentional. I mean, that's. No, but I mean, I mean, did they say, uh, can we make him look as ridiculous as possible? No, I think that's, I think that was all in the spirit of the show. I think spirit it's the, of the spirit show. of the show. I, is he still on? Did he give it off? I, I haven't followed. That's where you go to die as a slur. Like if that's where you go, like <laughs> nobody. I mean, you know, there are very few people with like thriving careers go on, you know, go on to Dancing with the Stars. Like yeah. usually, it's it's Dancing with the. It is you, not a bad. It's not a bad guilty pleasure. Part of it, the make the uh, the host make. He's funny, and the uh, the panelists are interesting. I mean, I actually, I, you have to be a great athlete to be a good dancer. So, yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah, very impressive. But at any rate, so I, I just saw Sean dance uh, vis-a-vis uh, tape. You know, I saw it on, I guess, YouTube or whatever. So did not overwhelm me, but I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that to be his strength. No, no, <laughs> not at all. No. Yeah. So anything else going on we need to touch base about in terms of the world? Uh, it's, you know, the world, it goes on. The beat goes on. Yeah, well, and uh, environmental, uh, the environmental conference going on here at the UN and that uh, Young woman is very articulate. That, uh, that was uh, quite the impassioned speech she gave yesterday. You know, it's interesting. So Kamala Harris was asked that if she was against, you know, she's against, you know, she's for changing the red meat, you know, cutting it out of red meat consumption for right. the, you know, for the purposes of the environment and global warming. So she said, of course, you know, because she's a good person. Then all the Democratic candidates went to the uh, pork fry where they t- t- ten thousand steaks were fried. Even Cory Booker, t- who's a vegan, took a turn at the grill, grilling steaks. So hey, we think we should cut down on red meat until we go to Iowa. Can't go pander, right, pander, pander, pander. Red, red, yeah, no. I, the pork, what's the pork thing? Is is special? I'm going to fly private <laughs> to Iowa. I'm a good person. I want to take away your cheeseburgers, but and I look. I'm you know I'm not against environmental regulations like that. But I just think that's hilarious. Everybody goes and like makes all these bold moral pronouncements uh, about oh bread meat that goes it just mans the grill at the that's so great. Isn't it like the pork tenderloin they do in anyway, it's still red meat. Anyway, I uh yeah, we all should eat less red meat, but uh when it becomes like this uh moral uh badge of honor, then that's uh, Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty. I love that the vegan man, the grill. Oh, I love that. I love it. The vegan on the grill. Now, I love it. Have you tried the new Burger King? First of all, I don't go to Burger King. Have you tried the uh, non-hamburger? No. You've had it, but you've had a vegan burger before, right? Yeah, I've had like the veggie burger. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not great. I'm going with you. It's kind of like, too, when uh, a lot of times the various Jewish Christian discussions we've had, you know, you have kosher, it's easy Best way to go kosher is to go vegetarian. <laughs> but when they have the uh, like chicken parmesan, the tofu chicken parmesan, still called tofu chicken parmesan. It's not cho- tofu chicken parmesan. It's tofu parmesan. I know it's kind of creepy when they make the tofu. I'm not into that. No, no. And some of it's not bad, uh, but it's still not. Just call it what it is. I don't mind tofu. I just don't want it pretending to be something else. Yeah, just be tofu. Be just who be, you are. Be who you are, tofu. That's be our who word. and what This is like are. NPR, today's word. Tofu. Be who you are. Exactly. Good talk. Good talk. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Now to our to our topic. Well, we're starting a series on the romance of orthodoxy. We started. It, we started. This is part two. We get a broad. There's a lot of ways and there's, to handle this or to approach this. You also sent me what that was a great. Um, uh, what did you say about the atonement? Uh, did you like that? Yeah, I, I, Dan. I think that was Dan. 
Or Brad East. Brad, Brad East. East was responsible for that. For that, it's. I thought it was really interesting. I yeah, Brad was, is. Brad is at Abilene Christian University. Right. Also, where Richard Beck is, who I, a guy I think is very interesting, good writer. There we go, Bill. So we commend that to you. We'll, we'll be in the show notes. Um, so to pick up our topic, we're going to look at this on from a couple of different ways. But we thought we might begin our discussion of the romance of orthodoxy by looking at, I guess, the controversies that help shape um, what eventually shape a week of orthodoxy. And I, you know, and I still think there's a kind of dynamic nature to that. And probably the first, I prefer the static nature. Too. <laughs> probably the first uh, real controversy that, um, that the church faced was uh, in its very uh, early years. And that was the Jewish Gentile um, discussion and how are Gentiles incorporated into Christ. And that uh, actually a lot of the new Testament is taken up by that issue. I mean, we as Protestants and Reformed folks tend to look at the law gospel issue from a particular lenses that are more have more to do with late medieval theology and Luther than it actually does with what Paul's talking about. But this issue of the Christian's relationship to the Torah, uh, how Gentiles are now incorporated into the family of God, and how they're supposed to live together one can argue that a significant portion of the New Testament, over half the New Testament maybe, if not more, uh, certainly uh, touches on this issue. I would argue that certainly Romans and Galatians deal with it. There's still issues of it in First Corinthians. Um, one maybe argue part of Hebrews is dealing with that. The Gospel of Matthew, at least. Um, so there's Peter a- Lightheart argues in a commentary on First John called From Behind the Veil that it's the issue in First John. Oh, interesting. So it's a fascinating argument. It's a really, I mean, it's, it's not, not one I've ever heard before, but it's very interesting. The argument. Well, so as it's first, let's say, as it first comes to us in in the narrative, we take it in the Acts narrative and that's, uh, the issue of, of initially with Peter and, and Cornelius, uh, that happens. I want to, I want to say in Tel Aviv, but not in Tel Aviv, but in Joppa, which tell Joppa. Yeah, Tel Aviv is north of Old Java, but that issue that happens, and then, uh, then subsequently, the so-called Council of Jerusalem, which I don't think that's probably right to call it that historically, but where uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, in front of James and the apostles, uh, so apparently or allegedly, but from Luke, uh, work it out. But it seems as we look in Galatians that that didn't quite solve. Yeah, the it problem. feels like Paul had like his fingers crossed when he said, "Like, okay." Or, well, or or the people from James had their fingers crossed. Well, Paul said food to idols and stuff, and it seems like Paul Well, said, right, right. So there, there seems to be maybe more than a little finger crossing. I also think it could just be Brother Luke just trying to say, why can't we all get along? Luke, I think, tries to tend to put the best face on things. Luke acts, all right? So first of all, uh, the issue is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, um, the idea that He's not just the Jewish Messiah, but that he's the Messiah for Gentiles. And so when Gentiles start believing in Jesus Messiah, the question, probably the majority of them were God-fearers, certainly Cornelius was. Uh, for those of you who don't know what God-fearers were, they were Gentiles who were attracted to Judaism because of its antiquity, because of its moral um, 
uh, teachings because of its monotheism. And many of them... That's where Ivanka Trump started out. Yeah. <laughs> eventually converted. Yeah, right. Where many of them, uh, everything but circumcision. And there were implications for circumcision. Candy asses. <laughs> Not just the pain, but there were social implications as well. So um, there seems to be, this was a predominant group that were the initial Gentile conversions to uh, Christian or to the to the way of Jesus, it's called the way at this point. Um, but something happens in Antioch where Jews and Gentiles are worshiping together, and it seems at this point that um, there's a significant there's a shift. I mean, that's where they are first called Christians. One can say that where Christianity stops being purely a Jewish sect may already be happening at Antioch, and it's really from the work from Antioch, the mission trip that Paul. Uh, and Barnabas take from there and the conversion of Gentiles, where the real crisis seems to be the first where it first happens. Uh, and it's also in Antioch, according to Galatians, where Paul and the apostles Paul and Peter have their nearly drag out fight about this. Yeah. So the question that was posed is, does a Gentile have to, in essence, become a Jew in order to participate in the benefits of Messiah Jesus. Uh, and Paul's unequivocal answer is, no, they do not. That is correct. Paul's unequivocal answer is that. Now, the, 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 it seems like that's not the unequivocal answer in Acts. It seems like in Acts, basically, that there's this idea that they have to obey the Noahic covenant. Um, and that's part of why— There's a lot of good it did the people after Noah. <laughs> So part of the Russell Crowe didn't look happy at the end of that not, movie, which was a great movie, I think. I, I loved it too. Yeah. So part of it, where you see and in, in the Corinthian uh, passages and Romans, this idea of the eating uh, meat sacrificed to idols seems to be where, as you said, Paul crossed his fingers, maybe, and the, blood, what, things with blood. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. What's that? Kosher. What's that pie in England that has blood in it? Um, or pudding? Yeah, blood pudding. Blood pudding. Well, yeah, but you have, well, yeah, it's not, yeah, that's what it is. You know, you, it's a lot of protein. You're saying. Yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedi, and Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. 
If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. So the larger issue. I and pornet and sexual morality. Yeah, sexual morality. Which Although is that in the No Way Covenant, sexual morality? I guess it is. Yeah. Is it explicitly? Yeah, I think I think I yeah. think it is. I know I haven't looked at the No Way Covenant for a while. I used to spend a lot of time Wild thinking times. about that. So it stays in Noah's Covenant. <laughs> it happens in Noah's Covenant, it stays in Noah's Covenant. So all right, other than the the cultural issues that, you know, that were particularly important in the first century, what are the larger things at stake with this first great debate you see? Well, Again, I think that if people had to get invasive surgery to become false <laughs> Jesus, that would sl- I mean, it wouldn't have stopped origin probably, but I mean, there's a lot of people that probably would have stopped, uh, you know, in the face. So you think, first of all, is Christianity going to, uh, Christianity stops being culturally Jewish? Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think so. The move from a cultural or a Jewish sect to what becomes a worldwide religion, I think, or a religion that crosses um, sectarian or national boundaries. Matter of fact, by the end of the first century, it's a majority Gentile movement. Part of that's because of the whole Jewish war, but uh, maybe, you know, that could, that, where, where did that tipping point? That tipping point may even happen during Paul's life because of, because chiefly from the effects of his missionary work, that at some point it becomes a majority Gentile movement. And then, you know, you even begin to have problems where it's not Jews having problems with Gentiles, but as maybe we see in the Romans uh, letter, behind the Roman letter, maybe part of what's going on in the Corinthian correspondence, Gentiles start having problems with Jews. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Scott McKnight's new book, Reading Romans Backwards, I mean, that's kind of the thesis that you have the, the whole controversy between the strong and the weak parties. And, and Paul is with the strong party, you know, and, and the strong being the people that really are fine with eating meat sacrifice idols as long as it's not as part of some big pagan thing and and are and are you know you know again hold Jewish customs pretty lightly and loosely and also it's interesting he even argues like Romans thirteen that you know this deference to the Roman civil authority that that some of the that there might the zealot kind of um, residue right. might be there for for the weaker party as he calls it the Jews so yeah I mean I think that that's and as, as the stronger party prevails again it it sort of relativizes the significance of well, right. Torah observance. It actually, you know, helps move Christianity away from the from from Jewish nationalism. Uh, and which becomes really important during, you know, the first time that becomes really important is you know, obviously sixty six, you know, at the Jewish revolt against the Romans the first one. And then it probably the you know, the final nail in the coffin there is the Bar Kokobo revolt. Although it should be said that um, you know the idea that Christians still uh, read the Hebrew scriptures and tried to incorporate, you know, still saw themselves strongly aligned with some of these practices. That's an issue that it still exists throughout the throughout the early church. I mean, that's part of Ignatius of Antioch's critique of Judaizers. And really, uh, again, I'm not defending Christensen's horrendous anti-Semitic statements in his sermons, but even into the fourth century, um, you know, in in Antioch, I mean, one of uh, the issues that uh, John Chrysostom speaks preaches so harshly against Judaism is because many of his parishioners, or at least a significant number of them, are still doing Jewish festivals and kind of mixing and matching. So, even though you know it seems to be settled for Paul uh, to say that it gets cleanly settled in the first century would be overstating it. I mean, there's still an Ebonite community which are uh, Jewish Christians who have 
We're going to talk about them later, but have an adoptionist Christology. And that group still continues in some sort of minority form. What we have evidence in New Testament departments all over the country. (laughs) (laughs) And some, and some, and actually in some, uh, many theology departments as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the first debate, I think, is, is, you know, again, who's in? I mean, maybe that's always, I mean, every religion, every sect, has to say who's in and who's out. That's part of what how you define yourself. And you for know, instance, today American evangelicals have said Trump's in. Yeah, <laughs> you have to do that something now or, and again. Yeah, no, they did. But the idea that Christ really was for God so loved the cosmos. I mean, that the the universalism of jo- of John's gospel. Um, this is where John and Paul really really agree that the, the the revelation, the ignorance. You know, as Paul talks about, or at least the Pauline writer talks about in First Timothy. I sinned out of ignorance. Well, that ignorance was that uh, the Messiah, Jesus, was the Savior of the world. So that shift of from the Jewish Messiah to the Savior of the world is probably um, is the most significant shift of the first century, and it's, it really becomes the n- nature of the gospel ministry. There's a book titled, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And I think that ultimately, if you wanted to sort of simplify what's at stake is the sense that like, is Jesus plus nothing? Does it equal everything? Or does Jesus plus nothing, does Jesus require for to be part of the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ? Do you need Jesus plus some other things, which, you know, badges of, of participation in, you know, the cultic practices that trace themselves to the religion of Israel. And so is that, is that, is it Jesus plus nothing because everything or Jesus, you know, plus these plus Torah observance to some degree equals everything. Now it's really interesting. I think Paul is an interesting object lesson in, um, if you would, relative mission strategy. I mean, because there's a sense where he himself seemed to maintain Torah observance to a certain degree. Now he didn't. He didn't follow the dietary laws, or, or the um, at least he didn't follow the idea that being unclean that he he didn't keep him from having table fellowship with Gentiles. Um, but it seems in many ways that he attempted, particularly with his Jewish brothers and sisters, to be Torah observant, yet that Torah observance did not prevent him from doing whatever he needed to do to share the gospel with Gentiles. Well, and I think his Torah observance becomes relativized, right? It, well, that's what I meant. It's, it's what something saying, much yeah. more like a cultural practice that's, it's not ultimately, like it, its significance is is severely relativized so that he can do it with, with certain with people that are in the weaker party, so right. to say, and and appreciate those traditions, but they're not. But only when they're relativized does it seem like he can do that. Well, but I think all right, yeah, and I think that's. I mean, that makes him a really it makes him a unique person, and you can understand why why he's been someone who's misrepresented and misunderstood in his own time. And I, you know, it, you can understand why that would be hard to wrap your mind around. How can you how can you self identify again? As a as an observant Jew, and at the same time, the three markers, and I do think this is where again I hate the new Paul, uh, old Paul uh, nomenclature, but this idea where where the particular tensions are around are around Sabbath observance, circumcision, and table fellowship, and partially because that was uh, you know E. P. Sanders' work I think is so helpful because he understands and reminds us how tense that period of time was and how Judaism was under assault. The cultural identity of Judaism was under assault. I think Saul of Tarsus saw the danger, if you would, 
of this uh, of this movement from of the Nazarene, and uh, it's it's why why he opposed it. And after he became its chief champion, you can understand why observant Jewish followers of Jesus saw him as a bigger threat or as big a threat as the pogroms that were happening in, in Alexandria and Antioch and other places. It was, uh, you know, as dangerous as the pressure and Jewish distinctions, the distinctives were from outside. There is always, you know, the greatest danger of any movement is how it's undermined from within. And I think that's what made Paul such a dangerous figure, uh, yes, for Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah, but we can understand why James or the party around James equally saw, or maybe more so, so saw um, someone who was very much like them at one point, uh, the great threat to Christianity. And so that's part of why this intense inner, inner family, inner Nicene fight within Judaism about the place of Messiah, Jesus, um, you know, the unfortunate subsequential consequence of this debate is this internal debate which shows up maybe certainly in John and Matthew and some of the teachings of Paul and maybe some of the allegorization of Hebrews. When those texts get in the hands of purely Gentile folks who don't have a sense of that you know, first century debate, that's why they are easily utilized as anti-Semitic texts. Because in their context, it's an anti-Jewish text that one Jewish group is using against the other Jew. So, you know, if you're having an internal fight, if I'm fighting with someone like me, well, you can say, well, my anti, I'm against a particular aspect of Judaism. But that's part of why the troubled anti-Semitic reading of the New Testament is is present in the text, because they were having an argument about who legitimate, who is the legitimate Israel. And um, one may argue that our, that the uh, Roman legions probably did as much to help solve that issue as anything that happened in any discussions among themselves. It's really interesting, you know. Benedict the Sixteenth in his book on Jesus, it's, you know, in the first volume, he talks about New, Jacob Neusner's uh, book, "A Rabbi Follows Jesus," for trying to imagine what it would be like for a first-century rabbinical student or rabbi to wrestle with teachings of Jesus and. He says, it is only with great respect and reverence that Neusner addresses this mysterious identification of Jesus that, and God that is found in the discourses of the Sermon on the Mount. Nevertheless, his analysis shows that this is the point where Jesus' message diverges fundamentally from the faith of the eternal Israel. Neusner demonstrates this after investigating Jesus' attitude toward three fundamental commandments, the fourth commandment, commandment to love one's parents, the third commandment to keep the Sabbath holy, and finally, the commandment to be holy as God is holy. Neusner comes to the disturbing conclusion that Jesus is evidently trying to persuade him to cease following these three fundamental commandments of God and to adhere to Jesus instead. And then I will say David Harbin or Daniel Harbin and Dave Harbin would disagree with Nisner on that. They would say that that, but go ahead. I'm sorry. To well, and he, and he also says, you know, that the son of man, he, he has a big discourse too, like on, I mean, Nusner's stuff on, Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath is is interesting, right. you know, because he thinks that of well, this guy, that this is, you know, he's. I mean, Neusner's. I, I mean, I think this idea of this tension, you know, I mean, at least Neusner sees as going back to that. This is not sort of a divergence from Jesus, but some stuff at the heart of the teachings that, of that, Jesus. So that it's not just Paul's interpretation, right? That this is this is yeah at the at the heart of, and this is why people, you know, why. The Pharisees are are troubled. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's troubling, you know. Well, yeah, and so that gets, if there's any kind of historicity to that, then yeah, I mean, it is obvious that Jesus didn't. That the people that got most upset with Jesus are probably people 
who he's closest to theologically. I mean, there's a lot of good arguments saying that Jesus's family and Jesus's theology in long parts was much more Pharisee than anything else, but that that's precisely the people that had the biggest problem with him because they were, that was who he's closest to. You know, I, again, it's an interesting, you know, Daniel Hartman said that uh, Jesus was being a good Jew when he was telling people that it's the intentionality of the law that counts, not the external um, and he, he, he will quote that the rabbis say that uh, the first temple was destroyed because they did not observe the law. The second temple was destroyed because they observed it too closely. Um, so I, again, I mean, how, how Jesus is appropriate. I mean, it's always an interesting thing for me to say, okay, when we're trying to say, well, the historical Jesus was this, but the Jesus, you know, but, uh, the Jesus of faith was that. And, and the fact that the only source we have for both those Jesus is, are the Gospels, you know. I can still remember Charles Worth saying, uh, you know, you don't, the, the great joy of when you've torn away all the traditions and all you have there is the pure historical Jesus. And I, after listening to him, I think that may be, you know, all we get is, and then Jesus left town. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I think Luke, Luke Timothy Johnson's book, um, The Real Jesus, is the be- it's one of the best you know, books on that. Like, cause I mean, basically says that the story, the Christ of faith and the historical Jesus are the same thing. Like they, they, they develop the whole tradition develops yeah. at the same time. So you can't separate that stuff out. Like you can, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but I think, you know, the issue of the universality of the message of Christ, I think that is really what's at stake here. I, you know, from on a more practical level, given our own, uh, you know, turmoil of every age, every age has its own turmoil. It's, it is interesting that sometimes what you have, um, when you have these radical insights of what the gospel means, and I would say there's no one, I would say both the gospel of John and Paul come up with the most radical implications of the meaning, the meaning for, I would conclude, the birth, life, teaching, death, and resurrection, and ascension of Christ. That, that the whole, and I'm going to use Christ event as a totality, not to avoid any kind of, uh, not the way it used to be used. So, but the whole the whole life, ministry, death, resurrection, essential to Christ, there always is a danger with any kind of religious community that um whatever the you know more conventional interpretations or meanings you know are in conflict with some of the most radical implications and you know the natural cultural conservatism of Christianity is understandable in its first century context, but the fact that it reappears again. And again, and the temptation to to want to keep security at the risk of or keep what is familiar, what's comfortable at the risk of what are clear implications of the gospel. I think that that struggle will go on from the first century. The first the first great challenge is what do you do with Gentiles? But that challenge doesn't go away, even though the issues become very different. But because for whatever reason, you know, again. You know, how the Holy Spirit or how providence works it all out. Um, by the end of the first century, the, the Christian church is a predominantly um, Gentile movement, and the idea that Jew Gentiles are full partners in, in the faith is no longer in question. Now, in our next episode, the second century, well, the next great challenge will be, well, what do you do with all that Jewish stuff? And the beat goes on. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.